Glad that you are here with us. Uh, my name is JD. I am one of the pastors here. I just want to begin by saying that I am extremely uh, thankful to be a part of a network of churches called the Praetorian Project that we paid, prayed for this morning. Um, I mean, if you've ever been in these churches, they teach and preach the gospel so faithfully. They are intentional with discipleship while also raising up preachers and teachers from their congregations. Uh, one of the cool things that's happening in our network of churches is the amount of biblically qualified men who are learning how to preach. Uh, recently, the main preaching pastor at Pillar Dumfries uh, took, a, took about a two-month sabbatical. And in that time, the church had around five to six different guys preach from the congregation. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, a, that's, a, that's just a really... A cool thing to see. And a few of those was their first times. Their first time ever standing behind the pulpit was, uh, was raised up from the congregation and preaching to that congregation. Even in our own congregation here at Pillar Jacks, in the last three weeks we've had two new guys preach, Mike DeLarge and Eddie Benjamin, preach their first sermons ever, raised up in our congregation and preaching to us. I mean, sermons that absolutely knocked it out of the park. And in two weeks from today, another one of our elders, Richard Blair, uh, will be preaching his first sermon to us. So I hope you can appreciate being a part of a church where God is raising up men, even bringing up part, part of a project where God is raising up men in our midst to preach and raising up women to teach other women all the time, discipling and raising up and empowering and it's happening all over the project. This is the beautiful picture of God's grace abounding in us and through us that we get to see this and be a part of this. And as Joshua Brown, pillar, pastor of Pillar Topsail, would say, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So as we study, get ready to uh, celebrate Easter together, uh, we actually don't have to go out of the book we've already been preaching in. We're going to be remaining in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles... We'll open to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Let's remember that as Brian read to us in the, uh, in the breakfast this morning, that the main idea of John is, that, uh, is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. That you believe that Jesus is the Christ, so that you may have life. I have written these things so that you would believe and live. Believe and live. So let's read John 16, 16 through 31. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one up underneath the seat in front of you. And John is in the New Testament, the fourth book. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Verse 16. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. 
You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take, from, no one will take it from you or take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but, I, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. You see, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own house and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you, have, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just ask for your gracious hand on us this morning, that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds to understand what it is that you have to say to us through the gospel of John. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes and our ears to see the beauty of your good news. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me by the power of your spirit to, uh, to articulate what it is that you are saying in this passage to the apostles and ultimately to us. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. Every year, hundreds of mountain climbers travel to Nepal to ascend to the summit of Mount Everest. Maybe you've often thought about doing that. I don't know. Maybe we have some adventurers in here that said, man, I'd love to go and do that. But all of them pay several thousands of dollars for permits to be able to climb the mountain. And almost all of them will pay several more thousand dollars to hire a Sherpa, an ethnic group hailing from the mountain of Nepal, as a guide to show them the way up the mountain. The chances of making it to the summit are far greater with an experienced guide who shows you the way. And even then, it's an extremely dangerous endeavor, full of twists and turns, trials and tribulations, and unexpected pitfalls. And if you don't have a guy that, that knows and expects and responds well to these difficulties, it will lead to retreating back down the mountain, or even worse, death. So a good guy takes careful attention to instruct, to train, to equip even the most well-trained climbers. He does this to prepare them for the, for the trip that lies ahead, for the dangers lurking at every turn. And ultimately, at every step. And over the course of the past few chapters, this is what Jesus has been doing with his disciples. He has been expertly showing them 
what steps to take and how to live as followers of Christ in a fallen and broken world. He has been instructing them in this farewell discourse and guiding them that even though there will be missteps, they will be able to reach the end of the climb with joy and excitement. This is what Jesus is doing. This is His final words to His disciples that we will see here in 16 before He prays for them. And so what I want us to take away from this this morning, from this set of verses, is this. That Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection through the Holy Spirit will bring us inexpressible joy, fervency in prayer, and undeniable peace. That through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will receive inexpressible joy, fervency in prayer, and undeniable peace. So because of Christ, first point this morning, first thing, iteration I want you to learn, because of Christ is this, sorrow is turned to joy. Sorrow in this life through Christ is turned to joy. We cannot separate the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus from the Holy Spirit coming into the world. That is the preceding verses that lead up to this. And he says, I'm going to Him. I'm going to the Father who sent me. And it is to your advantage that I do so in, in, chapter, in the early part of 16. And He says, I will not leave you as orphans in chapter 14. I will come to you, let a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. So this has been His instruction over the last few chapters that even though I will be gone, I will be leaving in a little while that you will see me again. Because they were continuing to ask, what does he mean by a little while in verse 18? We don't know what he's saying. I don't understand what he's trying to communicate to me. Jesus, knowing what, the, what their thoughts were, is this what you're asking? Let me, under, let me help you to understand. Verse 20. Notice the wills here. Notice the promises that God gives. Truly, truly. You see this, it means that there's emphasis here when there's two words. Truly, truly, verily, verily. I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. The world especially the Jewish leaders that he's speaking of here, the world, those who are outside of the faith, will be rejoicing over the death of Jesus because they thought they have accomplished something. They thought that they have achieved the ultimate goal is to wipe Jesus off the face of the earth. Not knowing that it was His eternal plan all along. They will be saying, we finally got rid of that man who has caused all this chaos in our life. We have finally put Him in the place that He deserves to go. In the grave. We have destroyed Him. And Jesus is saying, when that happens, when that happens, disciples, listen to me. There will be sorrow. 
there will be lament, and there will be weeping, and there will be mourning, and there will be extreme sorrow over the fact that seemingly the world has won. And then Jesus gives this great illustration of a, of a woman giving birth. That during the time of birth, there is sorrow and there is, there, there is uh, difficulty and there is anguish, He says. But then no longer remembering the anguish. You ever read something and then a, uh, something instantly pops in your mind that helps you to bring clarity to something like this? I remember it for me and it's not any of my own four kids that were birthed. It was when I was 12 years old. I remember I had just gotten home from school and I was sitting down watching TV and my mom was home. And all of a sudden, she comes running through the living room. And she goes out the front door. And the next thing I know, I hear her say, is it time? Is it time? And, uh, and I was like, what is going on? Like, my mom doesn't run, for one. And she doesn't work with a lot of urgency, usually. And she's not into drama. And so, uh, so I knew something was, was up. And she comes busting back in the door and says, get ready. We're going to the hospital. Your, aunt's, uh, your Aunt Cindy's going into labor. And I was like, okay, all right. So I get in the car. And uh, I'm in the front seat, and my mom's driving. Like My mom doesn't usually drive very much, so I knew it was exceptional. In the back seat was my, was my grandmother and my Aunt Cindy. And so we're, 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 mom puts, puts the car in reverse, busts out of the driveway. I mean, she's spinning wheels. Like, my mom is, I just want you to understand, she's prim, she's proper, she doesn't do this. She's two hands on the wheel, 55 in a 55, 35 in a 35. I remember she cried for getting a ticket one time, for something that wasn't even her fault. She wasn't the person, and I just remember that. Uh, and so, but she's busting out of the driveway, and she's spinning wheels, and she's spinning tires, and we're going. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Uh, and I know that my aunt's having a baby. I get it, but everything's kind of quiet and calm, and she's not. And all of a sudden, about five to six minutes into our ride, things start to change. My aunt begins to, to howl and to cry and to shout that something's happening. Uh, and so, uh, and I, I, I'm 12 years old. I have no idea what's going on. And I'm looking in the back seat, and they're saying, "Don't look in the back seat. Don't look, and and uh, don't look at me right now." And so, I mean, just screaming. And this lasts for about two minutes, right? And it stops. And it's like I remember going, and, and and I just remember being relaxed. And my mom's like, she's all in, like right. And uh, and all of a sudden, my aunt goes, "There may be a chance I might have this baby in the car." My mom goes, "No, you're not." You are not having a baby in this car. And I, my aunt meant it and my mom meant it. She was not stopping the car to have this baby. But I just remember this conversation. It was like being in the middle of a sitcom. It was like being in the middle of a good sitcom. that I was, I was just watching back and forth as, as and my, my grandma's back there just rubbing her arm. She never says a word. But those two are, the, I'm, I, there's a chance I might have this baby in the car. No, you're not. We drive by three hospitals to get to her hospital because she has to have her doctor. So we deal with this for about an hour. And I mean, we barely make it to the hospital. We barely made it. So I'm sitting, they tell me to wait. They all go back there. They're all waiting. And I'm just sitting there like, what in the world? My hand, rubbing my hands together. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, you know, and all of a sudden my mom comes out and she's like, hey, you want to come see the baby? And I'm like, what happened? Like, what you, <laughs> this is not the people that came into the, this is not the people that came into the, uh, uh, in the hospital like 35 minutes ago. Like this is not an hour ago. Like this is not the people that did that. And so I walk back into the room and everybody's just fine. Everybody's getting along. Nobody's unhappy with one another. And here they are, one big happy family. And I just remember 
that story. As I read this and I go, yes, that's it. I get it. I get it. The sorrow, the anguish, the, 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 the bitterness that the two were feeling. No more when the baby is born. And so that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. That she no longer remembers the anguish when the joy comes. For you disciples that when you think that I'm gone, when you think that I have left this world, when you think that I have, that I have, that I have died from this world, that joy will come. And I just want you to know this morning that joy has come. Joy has come in the, in the death and the burial, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate here on an Easter Sunday. So you have sorrow now, he says in verse 22, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. So yes, you will have sorrow. You will weep and lament, but there will be joy. And so I know that some of you in here this morning that you are feeling sorrow and that you are walking in lament and you feel like weeping this morning over things that are going on in your life. But I want to tell you that joy comes in knowing Christ. That joy comes in knowing Christ in a personal, intimate relationship with Him through His Word. That you can overcome this sorrow through Jesus. That Jesus has not left or forsaken you. He has given you reason for hope in the here and now. And He has even given you reason for a, for a future hope. And even though the disciples were feeling sorrow, there will be a time in the not so distant future when their sorrow would turn to joy. That was the promise. That same joy is your joy. For those who believe in the risen Savior, that the joy of Christ that they felt in seeing Him after His resurrection, after seeing the empty tomb that they now believed. The same joy is yours. It wasn't just for them in that time. It is for us in the here and now that Jesus went from death to life. From the cross to the grave and from the grave to the resurrection. That is the joy of what we see in the gospel of Jesus. And not only is this joy that it brings rejoicing, always rejoicing. It's why Paul can say, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. We boast in the cross. We boast in the glory. That is found in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That even though we are sorrow over our sin or sorrow in this life, maybe it hasn't worked out the way you've intended your life to work out. But I can tell you that there is joy in Christ. There is joy in believing in a risen Savior who, is, who has conquered your Sin in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. And so our sorrow is turned to joy. Do you have that joy this morning? As we celebrate Easter, do you have this joy in you? 
and the cause of Christ, not only can we have sorrow, not only can we have joy from sorrow, but we can also pray expectantly. That we can pray expectantly. Look at verse 24. Actually, second half of 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Again, in verse 26, In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you. God the Father loves you. You don't need me, you can talk directly to the Father. Because you have loved me. And you have believed in me that I come from God. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are to pray expectantly. We are to pray persistently. We are to pray specifically. And we are to pray expectantly asking the Father. So I want to ask you this question. What what do you find yourself praying for the most? What do you find yourself praying for the most? Because what you find yourself praying for are the things that, that uh, that are deep inside of your heart. That reveal what your heart desires. What you pray for reveals what your heart desires. It's a good exercise to make sure that what you are asking for in the name of Christ aligns with God's will. It's why we gather together once a month and set aside a time on on Saturday evenings to pray because we are to be as a corporate body and individually praying persistently, specifically, and expectantly that God will do something in our midst for our behalf. Do you pray this way? Do you pray persistently? It reminds me of, uh, of the parable of, um, uh, of the widow who, who, who continues, the persistent widow who prays uh, specifically. It goes like this. He says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, but for a while he refused to do that. But, after he, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because the widow keeps on bu- bugging me, she keeps bothering me, she keeps coming to me over and over and over again, I will give her justice that she will not, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? This is a call to pray fervently, persistently, asking. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. We must, because of what God has done for us, through Jesus Christ, we must be a people that pray always, without ceasing. That we would be a people that would be marked by consistent prayers. Fervent 
prayers, calling out to God that, it, that, it would, that we would take that time to build our relationship with Him, to build our confidence in the Lord, that we would grow deeper in our fellowship with Him by going to Him in prayer, and that we would wait expectantly, yielding to His will for an answer. Do you pray this way? Do you ask of the Father in my name that, that, that He will give it to you? Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I want to warn you here. This passage does not mean that it is wise for you to pray for a bigger house. It's not. It's not what He's asking for here. It's not what He's saying. This is not saying that you can walk on a car lot and start praying over a brand new Fiat. Uh, 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 let's see, Lamborghini, right? Started to say Ferrari, but couldn't get it out, so I didn't. Um, this doesn't mean that you can lay your hands on it and it becomes yours because you've prayed and asked in Jesus' name that it be yours. That is not the theology that God is talking about here. What he is saying here, though, is that we must be a people and the disciples must be a people that when Jesus leaves and he leaves us his spirit the dispensation of the spirit that comes at pentecost that we must be praying and aligning ourselves with god's will that as we pray the desires of our heart will be the desires of what the gospel represents that we would understand what god wants from us through christ that disciples would be made. That people would be coming to faith in Christ and baptizing them and teaching them. That God would be using us as his instruments, ambassadors, vessels for his glory. Do you pray that way? Do you pray to the Father in this way? Are we a people marked by prayer? That we align our, wills with, our will with God's will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that your prayer? That we must be a people praying persistently, praying fervently and expectantly that God will answer our prayers. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. That he's saying to us. My last point because of Christ is this. Because of Christ, you can have peace. Because of Christ, you can have peace. Jesus says in verse 28, very plainly, I came from the Father, I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. He says as plainly as He's ever said it. And in verse 29, his disciples say, Ah, now you are speaking plainly. Now you are not using figurative speech. Now we know that, that all things, now we, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. See, this is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus says in verse 31, Do you now believe? Do you believe now? 
Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will scatter. You will scatter. And you will leave me alone. Have you ever felt like your sin is so great that there is no way that God can forgive you? You ever said this to yourself? There's no way that God could forgive this about me. There's no way. I am way too sinful for God, too sinful for God to forgive me. That all the ways you have sinned and turned your back on God, there's no way that He will hear your cry and your plea for mercy and your plea for His grace to cover your sin. It's just too great. What Jesus says here. This is not. Listen, you will scatter. You will run, you will flee. No matter what Peter said about I will die for you. Jesus says, yeah, you will die. It won't be in the time frame you're talking about, but you will die. And then we see Peter scatter when things get difficult. And that's what Rich will be preaching on in here in a couple weeks. They scattered. They left him alone. Jesus says, yet, I am not alone. I have said these things to you, that in me you would have peace. You see, the world out there, there's tribulation. There's scorn. There's difficulty. There's trials. But in, in me... In me, guys, you have peace. In Jesus, you have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. That word tribulation means pressure. You will experience great pressure from the outside world. But here's the final things that he says to his disciples Take heart. Take heart. For I have overcome the world. There's no greater news for us this morning. There is no greater news. That in the world you will have trouble. But in Christ you can have peace. So my question to you this morning is, do you know this peace? Do you have this peace? Do you rest in Christ? Do you have union with Him and fellowship with Him? Paul says it this way, that we are a people who are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That we live in a world full of sorrows. There is no doubt in a room this size this morning that some of you came in here with marriages that are hurting, relationships that are troubled, children that are obstinate, finances that seem just awry and can't get them together. And that Jesus is saying that in me, I have overcome through the death, burial, and resurrection of, 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 of my life. That I have overcome all of those things. That you have peace. And you can rest in me. My question to you is, are you resting 
in the eternal Son of God for your life? Are you trusting in the world out there that's leaving you empty and dry and complacent? Or are you resting in Christ whose burdens are light and His yoke is easy? You see, Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And He paid that penalty for us by by absorbing a wrath that we deserved. But overcoming that death and that wrath and absorbed, that by our believing in Him and placing our faith and our trust in Him, that we would receive His peace. That in, in me, in Christ, you would have peace. In a world that is turned upside down out there. That in Christ you would have peace. Have you you put your trust in Christ Jesus? Have you believed that you may have, have you believed that Jesus is the Son of God that you may have life? The disciples, they got it. They got what Jesus was saying. All you have to do is read the book of Acts. They get it. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to live the way that Jesus has instructed over the last several chapters. Acts 5.41 is such, such a great one. They left the presence of the council where they had just been beaten and told not to not to spread lies about Jesus anymore. And they were rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Is that you this morning? Are you willing to suffer dishonor for the name? Not fearing those around you, what they might think of you or what they might say about you. Oh, he's just, he's just, a, he's just a Christian. She's one of those crazy Christians out there. Do you worry about what they say or do you fear God? Do you find your peace in Him? Do you take heart? Do you take heart in knowing that Jesus has overcome the world? To reach the peak of Everest, you must climb 880 meters or 2,887 feet. Sherpas, Sherpas are the guides report that when climbers reach about the 800 meter mark, they see the end and some of them will forge ahead forgetting their training and attempting to reach the summit on their own. And this is usually when disaster strikes. When they start trusting in their own ability to make it to the top and stop trusting in their God who knows better. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that Jesus has paid the ultimate debt for us by going to the cross and dying on our behalf. But He overcame the world by rising in victory over sin and death so that we may have life. My my encouragement to you is don't ever forget this good news. When you do, you begin to see the world as greater. 
Your praying life begins to dissipate. The peace found in Christ is far from you. Because the world starts to bring its pressures. Church, you must keep your eyes on the prize of the gospel. The good news found in Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on Him and He will turn your sorrow to joy over and over again as you humble yourself before Him. I want to recite these words from the hymn, The Power of the Cross. Here's what it says. The power, this the power of the cross. I won't sing it to you because you will never come back. Even members. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. My question to you is, do you believe this? Will you now believe this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it never returns void. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to draw people to yourself those who have not placed their faith and trust in you, that you would expose them for their sin. Lord, you would open their eyes to the good news of the gospel. We can do nothing apart from your spirit. Your spirit must do the work in us. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, their ears, turn their hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, that they may receive the good news of the gospel, that they would believe in a risen Savior, who has overcome the world, even death and destruction. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. During this next